Welcome to the Condo Vultures Podcast. This is Peter Zalewski. This is episode 53 in our podcast series. It is the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. We refer to it as the Reporters Roundtable. And the reason we call it that is that we bring together current and former journalists that talk about some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week. Why? Because there's a lot of news out there and you, the listener, probably trying to figure out what's important uh, to the real estate market in South Florida, whether you're in the industry as a professional and or you're an investor or maybe you're thinking about investing. So what we try to do with this podcast, we try to hit on six headlines coming uh, nationally as well as locally that might have some sort of impact on the local economy as well as the real estate market. I then ask all of the uh, panelists, and again, there's four of them, uh, including myself, to go ahead and make a prediction, give you some insight as to something that might be coming down the pike. And then finally, we end up with a comment section. If you, the listener, wants to provide a comment to us, please feel free to send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. So what are we going to be discussing this particular podcast? Well, we've got six headlines. Um, we're going to be talking everything about the uh, mayor of Miami Beach, uh, firing off a letter to the governor of Florida um, uh, protesting or asking the governor to reconsider an executive order. We're also going to be talking about um, people in the United States. They're having their electricity cut off and their and their uh, water and their other utilities. We're also going to talk about uh, two alums from large entities out of New York City that are going ahead and creating a $500 million contrarian fund. or And that's contrarian is in air quotes. Uh, some would call it an opportunity fund. And then uh, some of the other stories we have, we have the related group. They're going to launch a brand new condo tower. We have a group that is dumping dirt in Wynwood, a very popular part of uh, Greater North Miami. They're selling it for a $5 million loss, a haircut. And then finally, there's a, been a lawsuit that's been filed against uh, someone who's been out there raising cash through crowdfunding uh, and uh, using that cash to go ahead and buy real estate. Some people are filing a lawsuit and they're seeking class action status related to the terms of that particular arrangement. So that's what we got on the um, uh, on the agenda for this particular podcast. It's going to be fun. Let me remind you, if you're not yet a subscriber to Condo Vultures uh, podcast, please go ahead and do so wherever you get your uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. And then finally, if you like what we're doing, please uh, you know give us a good rating and, and uh, write a comment. Uh, the better ratings that we get, the more the message is going to spread, and ultimately we're going to be able to use that to go ahead and sort of uh, bring some clarity to a South Florida condo market and real estate market, which tends to be overly hyped by people who are on the sell side and they're telling you um, a variety of different things that eh, might not necessarily play out um, uh, as they're suggesting. So all that being said, please fasten that seatbelt, lean back and get ready to enjoy a very um, informative, entertaining and interesting podcast. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of greater downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood, north of Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County, South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. 
Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. This is Peter Zalewski. This is the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. It's a discussion by current and former journalists talking about some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week. The objective of the podcast is to basically help you cut through and understand some of the most important stories that might be impacting the real estate industry, whether you're in the industry as a professional and or you have an investment or you're considering an investment. So who do I have this particular week? I got John Fackler. John used to write about white-collar crime as well as uh, publicly traded companies that were based in South Florida. We're now He's got his own consulting company. What's going on, John? What's going on, man? Hey, you sound crystal clear. Good to hear. Good. How, how's that good. Wi-Fi treating you? <laughs> I'm on LTE, so maybe that's why. There we go. There we go. And then we also have Jean Groose. Jean uh, worked for over 25 years as a journalist. Uh, some of the publications he worked at in Florida include the Tampa Tribune. Right now he has his own public relations and marketing firm. He's based in Miami, moved there a few years back. And it's called Groose Communication. What's up, John? Hey, Peter. Just uh, glad to be on the unauthorized podcast again. The unauthorized <laughs> podcast. Absolutely. Well, let me tell you, um, our roving panelist this week is definitely somebody who gets in the unauthorized areas, always winding people up. Was He's been a journalist for over 20 years. You'll probably see his work now in every publication from the Daily Beast to the Miami Real Deal to the Florida Bulldog as well as the Guardian. That's Francisco Alvarado. What's going on, Francisco? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me again, Peter. Happy oh, to share my thoughts. It, it, it was a pleasure, and I'm sure you're going to have a, a lot of uh, a lot to share this time. Why? Because one of the stories we're going to discuss this particular yes. week is something that you actually wrote. So Correct. for the for the listener who hasn't heard the podcast, let me just lay out the rules of engagement. First and foremost, we look for straight talk, and salty language is uh, uh, permissible, and salty language is, is cursing. And then another part uh, to help you get a big picture of what we're going to try to do, we're going to deal with uh, three stories, then we're going to take a break. We'll deal with another three top headlines. Take a break. I'm going to ask all the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. And uh, finally, we're going to wrap it up with some comments. If you, the listener, want to provide any kind of comment, and I'll remind you again later on, please send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. So all that being said, you guys ready to rock and roll? Let's go. Yes. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, as I want to continue doing what we've been doing for the, uh, several weeks in a row now, I want to give you the latest COVID numbers. Uh, this is all coming from the Florida Department of Health, the COVID-19 dashboard. Um, it's not a testament as to whether the numbers are right or wrong or somewhere in between. It's just the numbers that are being put out officially. If any of you want to go ahead and look up the numbers on your on your own, just look up Florida Department of Health, COVID-19 dashboard. It'll pop up, and these numbers are updated daily. So let me give you the latest um, uh, on what's going on within the state of Florida, all 67 counties. We got 717,900 cases, roughly, and we've had 14,700 deaths since the, uh, the epidemic began, ultimately back in March. Now, what do we got in terms of South Florida, which is made up of Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach counties? We have 295,300 cases, 295,300. That's going to represent about 41.2% of all cases in the state of Florida are all occurring right here in Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County. Now, on the death count side, 6,151 people in South Florida have died from covid out of a grand total for the state of Florida of 14,700, percentage-wise, 41.8%. So 
So what that means is basically four out of every 10 people that is coming down with COVID or dying from COVID, they're going to be located in this tri-county area. And if you've been listening to this podcast week after week after week, you'll see that the percentages are really starting to come down. South Florida represented, I think, somewhere in the vicinity of 45%. Right now it's representing just under 42%. So, uh, again, believe the numbers, don't believe the numbers. I don't know, but this is the numbers we sort of got to go with uh, in terms of being official in air quotes. Now, how does it break down county by county? Let me just give you a share percentage. In Dade County, it's going to be about just under 24% of all cases are in Dade County. And then in terms of the number of deaths, just under 23% of the deaths are in, in Dade County. Broward County is going to represent just under 11% of all cases and just under 10% of all deaths. And then finally, Palm Beach County is representing 6.6% of the cases and 9.5% of the deaths. So that's a breakdown of what's going on on COVID. Um, set the scene before we go into our first story, which I'm going to go into John on. Um, Miami-Dade County Public Schools open today uh, for those uh, parents and, and, and students who opted to be some of the first rounds to go ahead and, and get involved. Anybody want to talk about the about the school opening or the numbers before we hit our first story? Uh, well, if you want me to jump in, I just did a story for the Daily Beast that came out today uh, please, about Miami-Dade schools. And, um, you know, the situation right now is basically – uh, it's the kind of situation where they're sort of, kind of, not really ready, if that makes any sense. <laughs> oh, that's crystal clear. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I mean, well, you have to think about this. I mean, this is Miami-Dade is the largest school district in Miami-Dade County. And even though roughly half of the students are coming back, we're still talking about 135, about 133,000 students coming back to um, um, schoolhouse learning along with 10,000 teachers, and that's not counting, I guess, you know, all the earlier ancillary staff. And, um, you know, and and each school site basically is, you know, is is responsible for 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 its own school, you know, making sure its own school is um, is ready. Um, mm-hmm. So it all depends on, you know, the level of administrators um, that are at these schools. And, you know, in some schools, you're going to have some administrators that are on top of their game and, you know, are are ready to go. And then you're going to have some schools where they're they're lagging behind. Um, in my story, uh, I cited Miami Springs Senior High because the uh, teachers union went and did school um, surprise school visits there last week. Okay. Um, and they went to Miami Senior Miami Springs Senior High, and when they got there, the well, this is according to the union, the um, the principal um, tried to stop them from doing their little sp- their spot check. Um, and called one of the police resource officers to um, to to be there, and you know the union people had to tell him, hey, look, you know we 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 are allowed to do this under our contract, um, and you know I guess you know the, the principal tried to like give them a runaround. Needless to say, they did do their inspection, and they found that I mean one of the things that they found right you know right away was that the um, the hand sanitizer that they're going to be supplying the teachers is alcohol free. And okay. <laughs> And um, basically, I mean, you, if anybody knows, I mean, the CDC is recommending that if you're going to have hand sanitizer, that it be 60% ethanol based, or 70% um, it's the other one, the one that you you know you get at the at the at the pharmacy store. So yeah, yeah, that was yeah, one yeah. thing. Then they ruined, you know, the, the the classrooms were not set up for um, you know for 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 any kind of like social distancing. Uh, the cafeteria was not set up for any kind of social distancing. And the decals that are on the sidewalks, you know, that are supposed to, you know, instruct people where to, um, you know, where to stand so that they're six feet away are already peeling off the sidewalks. So, oh my God. so like, I mean, so, 
So like, and then you know, and then there's just a whole bunch of other things you have to, you know, like you know that in concept it sounds good, but how are they really going to implement it? For example, yeah, um, elevators. There's you know they're they're following CDC guidelines about only having no more than two people in an elevator, but you have a situation in one school where all all the teachers have to use the elevator because they're lugging ba- you know bags and boxes and whatnot. So either you're gonna have a either you're gonna have a backup of people trying to get in the elevator, or you're gonna have people just saying, you know what, screw it, you know, let's get three or four people and, and ride up the elevator. But you know, it's but well, we're gonna find out this week. I mean, you know, this is the week that they're gonna have to, I guess, you know, um, work out the kinks. But the uh, the problem with that is that you know, working out the kinks means you're gonna get you're gonna get you know, people catching COVID. For big picture. Do you know how many students are in Miami-Dade County public school system total, and then how many actually came back? What, what did you say the figure was? Well, it's uh, it's about 133,000, which is um, a little over than over half. There's about a, there's another 122,000 that are doing online learning. Got it. So. Got it. And, and and then as part of that, um, uh, so there's two phases where you can come back. You're either it's like it's kind of like a cruise ship. You got the first seating for dinner or the second seating. Is that how it's going to break down? So the first uh, seating came back today, and then the second team will come sometime in the future? Would, would that be a simple way to look at it? Pretty much. I mean, like, they're basically, I mean, the way it's, it's working out, it's like I, they got the they got the lower grades coming in today. Okay. They got mid coming in on Wednesday, coming in on Friday. Okay. okay. But but it's not going to be all 300,000 or so. It'll just be those who See, that's, parents well, opted. Yeah, I, I can't, I mean, like, supposedly, I mean, they're supposed to, like, have the virtual option till the end of the year. Yeah. But you know things can change. Um, I really don't. I mean, like you know, like like I have it changed already. You know, for this for this week. Um, I mean, it all depends on you know uh, on how Tallahassee, how the you know Department of Education, the Commissioner Richard Cochran, and you know Governor DeSantis, you know decide decide what 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 the rules are going to be. Um, they could you know they could come back and say you know what this thing is you know, we've really got this thing under control. It's, Time for everybody to go back to school. And you know what, Frank? That's a perfect segue for our first story. We'll go to John on this. And <laughs> um, and and listen, listener, you're going to hear DeSantis a lot. That's Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He's basically a um, he's very supportive of President Trump, who's supposed to be getting out of the hospital today because of his COVID case. So you will hear DeSantis' name quite a bit. I just don't want to have to mention it over and over and over. So John, um, first story, John Plaxo, first story comes from uh, 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 the NBC affiliate down here, Channel 6. Um, and the headline is Miami Beach Mayor Urges DeSantis, remember the governor of Florida, to reconsider prohibiting mask fines. Here's the lead. Mayor of Miami Beach sent a letter to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Sunday urging him to reconsider the emergency order he issued last week that prevents local governments from enforcing a mask mandate. And the letter says, in quotes, I urge you to follow the CDC and mainstream view of doctors and scientists and reconsider your prior order prohibiting local governments from enforcing individual mask mandates, Mayor Dan Gelbert wrote to the governor. John, what say you? Uh, 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 you know, a little over a week ago, basically all of Florida was opened up, and now uh, we got schools going back, 300,000 kids. Uh, at some point, are in the process of going back in the classrooms, plus all the teachers and the ancillary services. John, is the pandemic passed us? <laughs> so glad you came to me with this story, which I had read earlier. Um, first off, I think uh, Gelbar is a really smart guy. He's just a smart guy. I, he's a great analyst when it comes to doing this whole uh, COVID story. Um, I got to tell you something. I I went out last night, and I saw something that shocked me 
and I could not believe how many people were in the streets on Cali Ocho with no masks, no social distancing. It was a couple of waitresses with masks on, and I remember looking at it. I felt like I was a piñata, a human walking piñata, that, you know, my <laughs> life was at stake, literally at stake. And I was like, are these people insane? I mean, I realized, you know, the whole thing about getting out and being able to, to uh, you know, eat and drink, but there was no precautions whatsoever. This is like a, a, a tempest in a teapot. And, you know, uh, he can do this all he wants and, you know, and not have a mandate for mask wearing at the very least. But it's gonna it's gonna surround him, bite him on the ass, and just like with Trump. So as long as he keeps following Trump, you know wherever he wants, it's his little daddy there. That's fine. I'm being sarcastic. So, yeah, exactly. Francisco, let, let let me go to you just to follow up on that. So, um, as uh-huh. part of this story again comes out of um uh, NBC Six, South Florida local affiliate. Mm-hmm. As many businesses and restaurants told NBC Six. They will continue to require mask wearing inside their private establishments. And Miami-Dade County Mayor Carlos Jimenez emphasized that citations will still be issued. The point is, though, Governor DeSantis, in his executive order issued a little bit over a week ago, said that, uh, you know, they're basically the state is going to override any citations that are issued. So how, how does this shake out? Can you get fined or can you not get fined for wearing a mask? Uh, well, I mean, I think you can get fined. I mean, the question is, is like who? It's going to come down to who's willing to, um, you know, file a lawsuit. But it's basically going to come down to a filing of a lawsuit. Um, either somebody gets fined and they sue the county, or the county sues DeSantis when somebody says, "I'm not going to pay for this." Um, that's how I think it's going to get, you know, resolved. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, like, I don't know. I'm I have not seen any enforcement of the masks um, mm-hmm. when I go mm-hmm. out. Um, you know, it, it, you know. Coyote is a great example because I was just there this weekend and I saw kind of the same thing. And I also rode my bike because I like to ride my bike around the city. Uh, I rode by, I rode by Wynwood, I rode by the design district and I rode by downtown Miami. And I saw a number of venues, bars, because you know he allowed bars to reopen that you can tell people are just don't care. Like, they're not wearing masks. Uh, I saw lines outside this, uh, this one Wynwood venue. It was a long, long line, and half the people were not wearing masks, or they were wearing the mask like a chin, like a chin diaper. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard chin diaper before. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Speaking about some people who uh, who potentially are going to be, uh, well, it's probably a bad joke, so I'm going to go ahead and skip it. Let me go on to story number two. Um, Jean, I'm going to go to you, Jean Bruce. This comes out of the Washington Post. Headline, millions of Americans risk losing power and water as massive unpaid utility bills pile up the subhead from the post article is more than 175 79 million people may be at risk for shutoffs as many state protections end and then the lead this tuesday marked 67 days of darkness for kenneth parson he fell behind on his utility bills in the spring and his lights went off and stayed off starting at the end of july um john this is natural everybody would expect that because you know if you if you don't have any money and there's no stimulus money it hasn't been renewed since the end of july uh, you know, the unemployment rate still over 11 million people out of work from all this type of situation. One of the things you're probably going to cut back on until it's due is the utilities. Uh, w- would you not? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, this is what the election is all about. I mean, I think, like, there's going to be one way or another. Um, we're going to have to decide as a, as a nation or as a community what we're going to do about people who have been, 
you know, affected by this pandemic to the point where they can't pay their power and water bills. I mean, mm-hmm. so I mean, that that's the bottom line. I mean, the stimulus, you know, my I predicted a couple of weeks ago that this there would be no stimulus, and I I still think there won't be a stimulus until after the election, and yep. you know. Um, you know, so, you know, you vote one way, there's going to be a ginormous stimulus, and you vote another way, and there's perhaps not going to be such a big stimulus. So, I mean, we're going to have to decide that. That's that's the election. That's one of the reasons we're having this election. I mean, one of the central central issues of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, John, let me, John Beckwell, let me go to you. So, as part yeah. of this story, remember, the, 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 the lead is based on a guy called Kenneth Parson. So let, let, let me just read this graph to you, and I want to get your response. No power meant no refrigerator for, for Parson, a 62-year-old with diabetes living in Griffin, Georgia. He had no choice but to source temperature-sensitive insulin on ice in a small cooler. He didn't have any easy way to cook at home either, so his wife, Cheryl, took to preparing some meals for him in a neighbor's kitchen. This is what we're doing to our over-60-year-olds? Yeah, it's really just – it's just – disgusting it's beyond the tragedy it's just disgusting and um you know i i I can't you know this is actually an interesting story because we're not talking about rentals we're not talking about you know people we can't pay the mortgage this is this is real kitchen table stuff this is this is the utilities and if that many people are not able to pay their utilities what happens next i i I can't even see where we go next from this um yeah so you know, it's a, a very interesting take on this whole subject. You know, interestingly enough, um, I know Jordan was kind of talking a little bit about this. Apparently, this this nonsense that happened with Trump, um, him coming down with the COVID, having to go, you know, getting infected, everybody infected. Uh, the stimulus bill that it looked like they were getting close to uh, coming to a negotiated deal, now they can't do anything because they're going to be vacating Congress before or at least it's the late 18th of October. <laughs> any any mini stimulus bill that could have went through is now on the back burner uh, because of it. So. so, Francisco, I want to go with you. Go to you at story number three. This comes out of the Real Deal, a publication where your work is uh, appears regularly. Headline is Excel, comma Starwood alum seek 500 million dollars for contrarian investing. Now, before I get into the uh, the lead in the in the in the story, Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. For the audience, they might not know, Excel is a big condo developer up in New York City. They built down here a previous cycle. They had one project. They got their ass handed to them, and they never came back to South Florida. And that project was called 1050-1060, which ultimately tried to sell in, um, in bulk, but ultimately sold on an individual basis. And then Starwood. Starwood, during the last go-around, they set up a company called ST Residential. It was effectively a residential opportunity fund that came in and bought a whole ton of assets primarily uh, through Chorus Bank failure. Some of the projects that were included down in the uh, Miami area would have been the Power of the Mint, as well as Paramount Bay. So these two are habitual offenders, if you will. So uh, let let me read you the lead. Two former executives at Starwood Capital Group and Excel Development are starting a fund to capitalize on undervalued properties in and around New York City. My words, just till now, uh, up until, until it's ready in Miami. My words, not, not, not sorry. Now, Sush uh, Torgalkar, who in, until August was the CEO at Excel, and Lan He Young, who previously was the head of fundraising and investor relations at Starwood, hope to raise $500 million for the first fund on, under the auspices of Sage Hall Partners, New York-based firm that the two founded, according to Bloomberg News. And again, this piece comes out in The Real Deal. 
Francisco, is this the beginning of the uh, the vulture funds? Uh, uh, granted, they're starting in New York, but everybody knows what starts in New York ends up in Miami. Yeah, but you know, I, I, I you know, there was a couple. There's a couple of local outfits that were already setting those up um, for hotels um, mm-hmm. down here. So, I mean, I'm not surprised because I mean, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's it's the name of the game, right? I mean, that's what you know. I mean. People are going to be looking to. People are going to be in very difficult situations. Uh, developers, landlords, and they're going to be looking for a way to, you know, get somebody to help them out, or buy them out, whatever it takes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, John, um, what, what, what do you make of this? Uh, the fact yeah, that five hundred yeah. million dollars being sought. Um, uh, initially, it'll probably start in New York based on some success they'll have up there. Chances are going to come down this way, just given the fact both entities were playing down in Miami area last uh, last cycle. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's – you're right. I mean, there's going to be some homegrown funds. I was just reading about one in St. Petersburg uh, uh, raising $92 million for distressed uh, real estate um, acquisitions. So, I mean, yeah, everybody's building up their war chest, anticipating – you know, significant amount of um, of uh, loan distress and properties that are going to be in default, and we know we know who they are. I mean, it's uh, retail, office, you know, those those hard hit uh, pr- commercial real estate properties. Um, I mean, I don't know about residential yet, but you know, maybe down the road, if the foreclosure if the foreclosure ban uh, gets lifted, I mean, yeah. Yeah, can I tell you something? Yes, please, John. You know, this whole story almost reminds me of the of a Miami story. I'm 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 kind of this reminds me back in the Vulture Fund uh, days that uh, Peter, you were a big part of, right? Um, on the residential side, but um, I'm surprised to see this in New York. Uh, you know, it, all right, I can see that's where it's going. That property is going to be undervalued, but you know, New York is always, if anything, has been overvalued, and. Um, I don't know. It's uh, that, that it's real interesting. I think Miami obviously will be the next place, but I just was surprised to see it in New York City. This type of interesting. Fun. Well, you know, I and 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 gentlemen, I wonder how much does this have to do with the fact that there's distress, and how much of it has to do with the fact that there's money out there that basically wants to throw it at something that is a contrarian fund, just because we don't know what the election is going to mean for the stock market, and there's some claiming that if the stock market were to, if Biden were to get elected president, and Biden, Joe Biden's a Democrat, ultimately uh, you'd have all kind of increases in taxes, which would probably gut the stock market. So do, so do you think this is maybe an attempt to kind of tap into um, uh, potentially a Biden victory in, come November? Good day. I don't know about politics. I just know that, like, you know, when you have cash, you're not earning a darn thing right now. So, I mean... And anything that 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 seems you know like a repeat of um, of the last cycle is uh, pretty appealing. Perfect. And on that, guys, let's go ahead. Let's take our our first commercial break. On the other side of the break, I'm going to ask the panelists to comment on three other stories that are a little bit closer to home. Don't buy a South Florida condo discounted or distressed before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. ConnellVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, 
please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. I got Francisco Alvarado. I have John Gruse and I have John Fackler. We're talking about some of the biggest stories that occurred within the last week that could have an impact on local real estate market, whether you're a professional, you're an investor, or you're thinking about investing. So first three stories we talked about was the mayor of Miami Beach basically sending a letter to the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, saying, hey, get your head out of your ass and let us know exactly what's happening because, you know, you put out this executive order that opened everything up and restricted our ability to impose fines. Story number two is on the Washington Post talking about how millions of Americans are losing their utilities, their water and their electricity. And if you don't know, we're on the brink of winter. And then finally, story number three, we talked about um, uh, some alums of Excel, which is the New York City developer, and Starwood which is a group that, that had an offshoot last go-around called SD Residential, and they went around buying uh, uh, distressed opportunities. Well, it turns out two of these alums set up, are setting up a $500 million contrarian, in air quotes, fund. So what do we got for story number four? I want to go to Francisco Alvarado. Why? Because he's the author of the damn story. This comes out of the real <laughs> deal, and this is a good one. Um, yes. uh, let, let, me just, let me set the scene for the listener. Um, every single time there is a, um, a downturn, uh, it kind of reminds me of the saying from Warren Buffett that you don't know who's naked until the, uh, the tide goes out. So let me just set that as the, as the scene. So uh, Francisco, right. the story you wrote that appeared in The Real Deal, headline, Lawsuit Seeking Class Action Status Accuses Grant Cardone of Misleading Investors. Subhead, suit alleges Cardone Capital ignoring the warning from SEC lawyer. And for what it's worth, Cardone is based out of Aventura, Florida. So here's the lead that Francisco uh, wrote. Real estate crowdfunding guru Grant Cardone is facing allegations that he missed thousands of investors, misled, excuse me, misled thousands of investors across the country by falsely promising them annual returns of at least 15% and other incentives that never materialized. Nope. Second, uh, second graph, fresh off their acquisition of a waterfront Fort Lauderdale apartment complex, Cardone and his aventure of Florida-based Cardone Capital were accused of violating federal securities laws in a suit filed in federal court in Los Angeles earlier this month. The lawsuit alleges they made false and misleading statements and omitted material facts in connection with public offerings of two Cardone Capital funds totaling $100 million. Francisco, what, uh, what, what, what can you tell us about the piece? Well, I mean, it's just, um, I guess it's a culmination of, um, of stuff that's already been out there about Grant Cardone, like in the in the background. I mean, the, if you if you were to do Google searches, you'd come across all these YouTube videos that question his um, his mode of operations and and his um, and I guess you know what he promises investors. Um, and I guess it all it's coming it's coming home to roost because this lawsuit was filed that basically says everything he's you know, he's boasting on Instagram about how to get rich by you know, investing in his uh in his um in his uh, funds um is basically a sham um and then you have a uh, you have these uh, law firms i mean this is not the this is the one lawsuit but i came across other law firms that were putting out press releases looking for lead plaintiffs on uh, uh for other class action lawsuits um and then i guess the thing that stuck out to me uh, in the complaint was this allegation that the SEC already had warned Car- Cardone that because company Cardone Capital was making misleading statements to the public um, and told them to you know to stop representing. For example, the one claim about like that he you know that they would receive a monthly distribution that represented approximately a 15% annual return on investment. 
they told him to stop doing that because he had no basis for for promising such a return according to the lawsuit so and then but if you but if you go to his instagram um it's kind of like you know doesn't seem like you know that that he's taken that warning you know or he did that warning um you kind of like see the instagram post and it's like it's you know promising you all these great returns uh on investment um you know uh, if you if you invest in Cardone Capital. Now 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 Francisco, you've been on the ground. You've been a journalist for over twenty years. Mm-hmm. You've been busting heads, cracking skulls for a long time. Uh, you you've seen a lot of the names over and over and over. Yeah. Um, when did when did you first start to hear of the Cardone name in South Florida? Uh, actually, just in, in the last year. Um, <laughs> I really, I mean, I, I, again, I mean, like he hadn't, you know, he hadn't come on my radar because he, uh, I guess I well, you know, there's so many players in this game, in this real estate game, but you know, I'm sure you're, you're well aware he was one of our, uh, he was one of the keynote speakers at last year's um, uh, Real Deal Miami Showcase and Forum, and that's when I got to see him, you know, on stage doing a spiel, you know, I mean, like you know, very, very charismatic guy, you know, with a knows exactly how to get a crowd going but you i i immediately wondered if you know if there's any substance between you know underneath all that style um yeah and um and you know i mean we'll see where these lawsuits you know where this lawsuit ends up um and uh and i mean and, and we'll see if the sec is 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 going to be um you know getting involved too um yep. this is these are the kinds of you know these are these are the kinds of allegations that that you know that gets regulators antennas up. Um, yep. So. Yep. Yep. John, I want I want to go to you. I want to ask you a question. Um, and and just so so the audience has has a sense. And, and remember, this is a lawsuit. Anybody in the United States can file a lawsuit for any purpose. Costs about five hundred dollars. And if you got a grudge to uh, if you got a axe to grind with somebody, you can basically file a lawsuit. Once a lawsuit filed, it becomes public record. Anything that's in that lawsuit, someone like Francisco can go ahead and publish it, and it's covered under um, uh, the, the way journalism works, the freedom of the press in the United States. Guys, would you agree with me? Is that, is that a correct uh, uh, description for the listener who might be all over the world? Very much so. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so John, in coming to you, um, it's important to know Cardone has more than 3 million followers on Instagram. Okay. Got more than 3 million. He's also going to be the star in an upcoming season of Discovery's reality uh, television show, undercover billionaire undercover billionaire and everybody's a billionaire now now, now these days um uh, but 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 here, here here's the quote i want to read to you john um it says money follows glitter and noise and life cardone said you build a brand and you get attention how do you sell anything you get attention um cardone says john don't people buy real estate based on numbers and performers or do they actually buy on glitter and noise and light and three million followers on instagram i mean am i missing something is that a leading question well you know look i mean uh, the um you know i think crowdfunding is really a terrible way to go when you're raising money for investing in uh, sophisticated you know commercial real estate projects i mean if if um you know, I mean, this is this really should be um, the, the thing is, is that I think institutional investors, if the deal was great, I mean, they would have invested in this kind of stuff. And now you're you're dealing with, you know, perhaps less sophisticated investors, uh, mom and pop people who, you know, keep reading how the real estate market is surging. And now they're all big fans of you on Instagram and, you know, you're 
you've got the the glitz and the glamour, and um, you know it's fine when the market's uh, you know uh, going up, but when the market starts to turn on you, you know then you know then the lawyers come out. I mean, they, you know, I mean in all fairness, I mean a lot of ambulance chasers are going to come out. You know, so yep. And and, and and let me give you some insight based on that. Uh, uh, according to the story written by Francisco. It says that a gentleman named Luis Pino out of Inglewood, California, invested 10 grand in both funds uh, in September of last year. Let me, I'm just I'm forwarding on, I'm fast forwarding to the part I want to get to. It says in an email statement, Cardone Capital said it attempted to return Pino's 10 grand investment upon learning of his lawsuit. And Cardone, uh, the statement from Cardone says he declined so clearly the investor and his counsel have a different agenda, adding that Cardone created Cardone Capital to level the playing field. We raised over $425 million in one investor who presented himself to be a non-accredited investor who invested in a minimum $5,000 in the two different funds is now attempting to assert class action lawsuit against us. So, um, Jean, does Cardone have a point that uh, maybe this, this guy's looking to shake down Cardone? He thinks he's got some cash and, um, you know, you, you, you go after the guys who have the money. You don't go after the poor ones. Well, I mean, this is this is what happens, you know, when you raise money with crowdfunding. It's just um, you're not dealing with institutional, sophisticated investors. And then you're just putting yourself in a position uh, of vulnerability uh, when when you when you uh, tend to raise money for sophisticated deals uh, through crowdfunding and the general public. And you're, you're opening yourself up to increased scrutiny from regulators because you're going out to the public and mm -hmm. instead of, you know, accredited investors with a million dollars or more to invest or sophisticated people who know that they can lose a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? Yep. 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 And, um, yep. Yep. and just a, just a, an addendum. I mean, the lawsuit goes beyond like promising false returns. There was a, the, the other flip side was is he's being accused of, um, of buying these properties initially, you know, on his, with, I think with his own money or some other with, you know, something money that wasn't, you know, the money raised from the investors. And yep. then after he acquired it on his own, he would flip it to the, to the funds. And then he was <laughs> basically put, taking out mortgages and then charging the funds like, you know, you know, a, an interest rate. So in essence, they were, you know, they were, they were being taxed. For, for 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 you know for for investing in something he told them is you know it's going to make them a whole great deal of money. Um, so so, so effectively, vertigrated, uh, um, uh, integrated, vertical. Um, uh, it's all basically he he covers all aspects of it and he wets his beak on um, all different aspects of it. Uh, uh, in other words, that's yeah, that's the gist of the the other you know the the other side of the the other allegations in the lawsuit. Yes. Got it, got it, got it. And, and again, in the United States, just to reiterate, in the United States, anybody can sue anybody. It costs about 500 bucks. You get an attorney, and once you file a lawsuit, anything in that lawsuit becomes public record, and reporters, journalists write about it. So I just want to give uh, Mr. Cardone his, his shake. Now, now let me, let me go to uh, John. John Factor, I'm going to go to you with this story, the story number five. This is coming out of the South Florida Business Journal by Brian Bandell, who's one of our um, uh, 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 panelists. And the headline is effectively Related Group, which is South uh, Miami's biggest condo developer, Vertical. They begin sales on its first condo project of 2020. Price is going to start at $1.3 million up in the Pompano Beach area. About 105-unit uh, tower with 20 stories. They're going to be building it up in Pompano Beach. Um, 
John, boy, I mean, it sounds like, uh, you know, sounds like the good times are back. This is the perfect time to be going forward with a new, with a new condo tower. Am I missing let something? Me, or? Let, let, me, let me tell you something. To somebody who used to live in Pompano Beach, this, is, this whole gentrification of Pompano and new towers has been done before. It's an old story. Um, and it never really goes off because ultimately it's not an area where you have a demographic of multimillionaires. It's just not a – and, and, and the, the other thing I have to say is it's more of a question. Why are they doing this now in this, this market of all times? Why are they doing this now? I mean, this is related. So, I, I don't let, let, let me ask. You guys let me ask Francisco. Francisco, why why is related group uh, trying to build this thing now? And by the way, um, Vice President, um, uh, who's running the show for this, is the son of uh, George Perez, the chairman of the related group. Uh, Nick Perez is the one who's going to be running the show here. So, uh, uh, Francisco, why why are they doing it now? <laughs> I'm guessing they, you know, they think that, you know, that um, with all the activity with of people buying, you know, properties that are over a million dollars. I mean, I know it's mostly single-family homes, but uh, I mean, there's um, a realtor had sent me, um, uh, you know, I'm an MLS, I guess MLS data about a week ago, and there were, and he had about, I guess, over it was more than 30 deals that were either closed or under or about to close over a million dollars so they must be thinking that you know that there's that we're going to be getting more suckers here that want to you know that want to buy million dollar properties um i mean that's my hustle yeah i mean like that's the only thing i can you know that comes to mind i mean but let's see i mean like you know again i mean they're just you know they're they're announcing sales i mean they'll actually you know start digging um, as we yep. know, they've launched, you know, they've launched sales for other projects and then ended up, you know, um, you know, um, I guess either canceling or postponing. If I'm not mistaken, they did that with that, what, the uh, Auburn Fort Lauderdale project? Yep. Uh, so, oh, Auburn's oh, oh, in uh, downtown Miami. The one in Fort Lauderdale was, was constructed. One okay, yeah, the one in downtown Miami. Yeah, it was put on the back burner. So let's, you know, let's see. And, um, you know, in Pompano Beach is probably one of those areas where there you can still, you know, get – Get waterfront at that price. Well, yeah, and, you know, and as as a side note, uh, shortly thereafter, Fortune Group, which is another developer down here, they built a lot of stuff in Sunny Isles. They also put up the uh, the Jade Brickle project. They just bought a piece of dirt, and they're looking at building a condo tower in uh, in Pompano as well. So, um, um, uh, be, be, before I go to uh, Jean on story number three, let me just point out to anybody. Uh, Generally speaking, when there's a downturn in the economy, contractors get very cheap. Why? Because they want to keep their, their band together. You know, they, they, they want to keep their employees. They want to just keep, uh, you know, generating revenue. So they'll typically cut their prices. Sometimes savvy developers who have the cash, they'll go ahead and they'll build something on spec, much like we are going on in downtown Miami with a couple different towers where you got billionaires who are putting stuff up. Why? Because they know they can chisel down the contractors and, and ultimately improve the bottom line and or sell at a lower price. So that might be that, one that reason. But, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. So let, let me go to John on uh, story number six. And, John, this one is coming out of um, coming out of the real deal again. Wow, real deal's got three of the six pieces. And this one, now I, wa- I want you to remember what we just talked about. We just talked about Pompano Beach. John, would you say Pompano Beach is a Class A or a trophy market? 
<laughs> okay, okay. And um, uh, guys, would you say Wynwood is a very attractive market? Wynwood is a, a, an industrial area uh, just outside downtown Miami that basically has turned into a top destination, even surpassing in some people's minds South Beach. Uh, would you guys agree with that? Is, is that a correct assessment? Yeah, it has. So, story number six. So we got Pompano going up. They're building a new condo tower in Wynwood, again, a neighborhood of Miami that's one of the most sought after and desirable. We got uh, headlines comes out of the real deal, Red Sky and Jay-Z. Now, I don't think it's the uh, the musician or, or, or the, the, the gentleman the, the, from the music industry. Red Sky and Jay-Z sell Wynwood Assemblage at discount for $26 million. The partnership bought the properties for $31 million and sixteen. So this group paid $31 million and sixteen at the peak of the cycle, and now they just dumped it for $26 million, a developable site in Wynwood. Again, not Pompano, which is, John says, isn't necessarily the most desirable area in terms of uh, 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 cachet. So let, let me give you the lead, John. A partnership between Red Sky Capital and Jay-Z Capital Partners sold an assemblage of land in Miami's Wynwood neighborhood for $26 million, less than the price they paid four years ago. Red Sky, a Brooklyn-based real estate company and Manhattan-based investment firm, Jay-Z, sold development site to SV2700 uh, owner LLC. The LLC owns a share, um, has an address with Seven Valleys, a lending firm founded by Chinese real estate moguls, Zheng Xin and Pan Chi. Um, what's the you, John? I mean, how how is Wynwood selling for less, and yet they're building in in Pompano? Well, I, <laughs> well, I when I read the story, you know, my my first thought was, well, that's not much of a discount. <laughs> I, I thought, well, hey, it's five million bucks. Yeah, but I thought I thought heck, those values had had fallen even more. I mean. I, I still think that's a lot to pay for 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 Winwood. You know, a couple of years ago, I remember talking to a banker, a local banker here, who said that they just didn't do any loans in Winwood at all because the values had gotten just outrageous. So right. you know that. Um, so I still think that's high. I mean, I, I'm I'm not sure they got a deal, but I mean, I'll, only time will tell. You know. Yep. And, and John Fackler, let me go to you with this. So as part of the as part of the piece, it says um, that the firm acquired roughly one acre site in 2016 for nearly 31 million. Goldman Properties, which had planned a mixed use development with 72 residences, 68 hotel rooms, 11,000 square feet of ground floor retail, and 47,000 square feet of office, sold the land to Red Sky Partnership. A two-story building built in 1945 still stands on the site. So who was the smart one here? Goldman, which dumped it for 31 million with this idea that all these things are going to be on it or, or, or the group that just sold it because John says it's still priced way too much. John, John, who's yeah. the smart one in this equation? My, my, you know, I, I tend to agree with John because I, I always felt that we would reach the point where it's plateaued as far as value goes. Um, probably overvalued. Um, but I, I think it's plateaued as far as value. Um, so, you know, like he said, I mean, if the, if he probably could have got rid of it for for uh, for more, but I don't know. I, I just think it's. Um, and then you had the pandemic, and you had everything else going. I think it was already plateauing before the before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Francisco, from all the reporting you're doing, what what's the template? What what what's the mind um, mindset out there? What's the temperature? Is this is this too early to start investing? 
are, they, are these people just, you know, quick with the trigger or, or do, do you think that the game is on where the stress buyers are starting to move in, even though we don't have a vaccine and uh, we don't know who the president is? What, what say you, Francisco? I think we're kind of in that in between, like, you know, or I said, you know, like people are like are ready to start making deals, but they're also like holding back a little bit because they know that, um, it's not gonna, you know, that, you know, it's not gonna get, it's not gonna get any better in the next two months, um, regardless of the, the rosy, optimistic uh, outlook our our president is gonna try and convey now that he's out of the hospital. Um, so I think, you know, you're gonna like, I mean, I think what people are doing is just kind of like sizing things up and seeing where, you know, like who, like who's gonna be like the the most wounded, I guess the most wounded whale, <laughs> uh, to target. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, like, and I think, and if I'm, I was looking back at some of the past coverage of Red Sky Capital and already back yep. in December, they were looking to shed, you know, some of their, you know, some of their portfolio and, you know, and reconfigure themselves. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if, you know, if that, if this has something to do with that. Um, but, um, but we'll see. We'll see. Interesting. So, so yeah. And, and then in, in ending this segment, yeah, that could be interesting. It could be a margin call. They might need cash. And uh, the only asset that people are going to buy is something that's attractive. So if that's all you can get rid of because you need to generate cash, that might be the way to go. So that makes a lot of sense, um, uh, Francisco. So let's go ahead. Let's take our commercial break. On the other side of the break, I'm going to ask the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. So stay tuned. Challenging times for real estate calls for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBR Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, cbrrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. This is the prediction uh, segment of our podcast. Remember, it's the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. It's current and former journalists kicking around some of the biggest headlines that occurred last week. This is where I get to put everybody on the spot and ask them to go out on a limb and tell us what uh, what they think is going to be coming down the pipe. So let's go to Jean Groots first. Jean, uh, what uh, what say you? Uh, well, my prediction is that the CDC moratorium on evictions is going to be extended past the th- uh, December 31st deadline, and my guess is they're going to extend another six months. And the reason for that, of course, is COVID, and nobody wants. To to be kicked out, uh, or no, no politician wants to see their constituents uh, kicked out of their apartments uh, at the height of a possible second wave and with the promise of a vaccine in the spring. So that's my prediction. Wow, that's a very interesting prediction. I, I almost wonder if the CDC shouldn't also, John, take the steps of uh, 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 somehow prohibiting utilities from turning off services uh especially as we're going in the winter uh with, with this pandemic but that's that, you know that that's another story let's go to john fackler on um uh on his prediction john what what say you what uh, tell us what you're thinking what's your prediction i'm thinking that uh we're going to see as a result of this opening of the uh, opening of business here uh for covid in miami uh you're going to see a spike in cases uh because nobody's wearing masks nobody's social distancing and that what's going to happen is the city officials are going to override DeSantis in the state and begin fining, and it's going to lead to a big Donnybrook between them and the state, including DeSantis. Wow, but doesn't that almost ultimately play into the whole political um, climate that we have out there today, where if you wear a mask, in theory, you're a Democrat, and if you don't wear a mask, in theory, you're a Republican? Yeah, that's true, but I think that um, 
uh, this is a fight that DeSantis and the state is going to lose because if the numbers really spike uh, and people start dying again, um, it's, a, it's a lose scenario for the, for the Republicans. Got it, got it, got it. Francisco, what 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 say you? You talk to a lot of people. You're reporting out a bunch of different stories. You're busting, you know, cracking skulls and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us what you're thinking. Last time you predicted that the cruise lines uh, would be looking at quite some time before people actually get into a ship, and that still remains uh, in place, even though originally uh, uh, people were able to start cruising supposedly back in August, but that never happened. So what what are you thinking this time? All right, I'm going to do one that you know is going to be you know one that you can come back to me in the near future and hold me accountable for. Um, okay. Trump is going to win Florida, but he's going to lose the election. Wow. You heard it here uh, first. <laughs> heard it here first. Donald Trump will win the state of Florida and all the electoral college votes, but he's going to ultimately lose the election, and, and uh, Joe Biden will become our next president. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to definitely so. jot that down. Um, and then finally, for, for, for my prediction, I predict the amount of dumb money that will be coming into this marketplace uh, within the next six months uh, is only going to increase, and you're going to start to see some deals. And uh, I'm not sure that these people who are buying, if they're ultimately going to be proven to be successful and, 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 and having the, uh, you know, the foresight, chances are um, until the locals start buying, I don't think it's time to pull the trigger personally. But, but so my prediction is dumb money deals will continue to happen and probably at a rapid pace. But if ever and whenever you hear about a dumb money deal or somebody pulling the trigger, the question they ask is what kind of background or what kind of um, uh, portfolio do they have in South Florida? And if they don't have a portfolio, chances are they don't necessarily understand the Miami hustle, which has been going on for 100 years when they were reclaiming Everglades. So that, that would be my prediction. Let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. On the other side of the break, we're going we're gonna to ask um, or we're going to get into the comment phase. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of Greater Downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County, South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. We discussed six articles that were uh, major headlines that are, could have an impact on your real estate holdings or and or your profession. We also uh, went through some predictions. Now we're going to get to the comment phase. If you like what we're doing, you dislike what we're doing, you want to offer suggestions, questions, criticism, please send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. We'll go ahead, we'll read it on the air, and we'll kick it around. So, John Fackler, um, we got two comments. Uh, why, why don't you read us the first one? Okay. First one is from uh, Claudia, uh, one of our uh, listeners. And she comments on the your Sunny Isles Beach Condo Market Analysis for Q2 2020. And uh, Claudia says, this is amazing. Do you have it available in Spanish that I can send to my dad? No, I don't. I don't speak Spanish well enough to go ahead and do it. Um, so, no, it's right, right now it's only in English. Anybody who does want to see statistics, so on that, Go to the website, Condo Vulture Realty. You scroll to the bottom, you're going to see a bunch of uh, different reports that I put out. 
and the statistics are all available there. But in terms of doing it in Spanish, no, I do not do it in Spanish. I got a hard enough time thinking in English, let alone <laughs> thinking in Spanish and English. So people like Francisco can speak both languages, you know, kudos to them, but I don't have that ability. But if you want to see the stats, go to Condo Vultures Realty, go to the bottom, and you will see the stats. All, or you can look at the description in our uh, podcast, in each individual podcast, and I put a link to each, um, each report as well as the data. So uh, sorry about that, Claudia, but thanks for listening. John, what do we got for story number two? Story from number two comes from uh, our regular listener, Ilya. Ilya, the habitual commenter. <laughs> and he wanted to talk about your podcast number 51 uh, regarding RBC Canada. Uh, Ilya thought RBC it was Bank I- of Canada. Yes. And Ilya said it's an eye-opener. Very interesting. RBC has all the data to tell us where Canadians are going to spend winters in the U.S. Canadians have plenty of money. Even the currency exchange is currently unfavorable for them, which he thinks is temporary. Um, he also made a comment, why are Can- Canadians going to Arizona? Are they trying to smoke their meat without fire? It is way, way too, <laughs> it is way, way too hot. It is a trickle of Canadians that can't afford to live in California, so they go one state to the side. Um, Interesting. Ellie also, yeah, Ellie okay. also made a comment on your um, podcast number 50 regarding the Aventura numbers. Um, he said he got it. The 20% difference between listing price and sold price um, is the active market. Um, 8 to 10% of things are moving rapidly and priced very well. Uh, he's curious, what are the numbers for single-family homes now in Miami? Okay. So uh, a bunch of things. Yeah, John, let, let me just respond because I'm going to forget it all. Uh, and okay. he's definitely a lot of comments. In terms of single-family, I don't know. I could care less. Why? Uh, single-family houses are works of art. Each one is individual. It's different. It's special, whatever, whatever, whatever. When you get into a condo, you're talking about a commodity. The pricing, everything about it you can figure out. You don't actually have to visit the property because it's all just based on uh, mathematics. Versus a single-family house, the lot might be a little bit bigger. It might have a different tree, this and that. Versus a condo, it's uh, it's no different than buying orange juice. They're all standard types of things. So I don't care about uh, houses. That's uh, more of a specialty. That's a work of art. I, li- I like condos. So that's why we sort of focus on that. And then in terms of uh, the Aventura market, um, we, we do market, uh, condo market analysis. We do those every Monday. So if you want to go ahead and see what markets we're talking about, just go to the website, um, excuse me, go to um, anchor.fm uh, forward slash condo vultures. Look for the Monday, and there you'll see an analysis where I talk about condos, I talk about luxury condos, I talk about the stress market, and I talk about rental market for each individual uh, uh, neighborhood that I'm looking at. And to remind you, on Wednesdays, we do these roundtables, and then Fridays, I do one-on-one interviews with uh, some real estate player where we talk about different aspects. So Ilya had referred to RBC Bank. I had the head of um, uh, business development and sales for RBC Bank. And what they do is it's Canada's largest bank, one of the largest banks in North America, and they effectively finance Canadians who are investing in the United States. They help them with the uh, currency exchange. They help them with all the terms, everything else that's related to it. In terms of where the investors are going, those who come from Toronto East, in Canada, they tend to come to Florida. Those who go, who come from uh, west of Toronto, they tend to go to Arizona. Why? Because it's cheaper than California, um, and they like it dry. And a lot of them are oil money people. They're making money in the oil sands up in Canada. They jump on a plane, and basically for you know a couple hundred grand, they got some spread in Arizona where they can thaw out. So that's basically how it plays out. But we discuss all that in podcast number 51. So listen, Mike, uh, 
he's got his last comment is the best. So I'm going to go ahead and read that, Ilya. Um, he said, Mike, what an addition. He's eloquent, zero unnecessary ums, you know what I'm saying. And his sense of humor is simply dangerous. Maybe, Peter, you can describe who Mike is for the listeners. Uh, yeah, M- M- Mike Seamus is one of our uh, one of our panelists as well. M- much like, a, uh, like, like Francisco, just rotates in. We're bringing him in just to offer a little bit different uh, perspective and some of that re- real-time uh, analysis. M- Mike used to be the business editor over at the South Florida Business Journal. He's been in the industry for 40-plus years, basically been on the ground. He's got a real dry sense of humor. And uh, he doesn't have the ums that Ilya is referring to that I have. So, <laughs> Ilya also said that he um, he liked John's laugh at the end and his prediction as well. Um, nice. John, always, John, always a pleasure. But nobody says birds anymore when females are involved, unless <laughs> unless it's it's the, it's the Madman Marathon on Bravo. Um, point taken. Uh, the selection of the articles was spot on as usual. Keep it up. And some birds, and some get, and get some birds already. Perhaps ask Oscar to join, but just leave his phone on without speaking. A little shot there to Oscar on the way out. There we go. Um, anybody else have anything to offer? Anything to add, uh, Francisco? Anything you want to you want to uh, mention before we before we uh, shut this thing down? No, um, um, I'm like I'm I, I'm spent. Every time I come on here, you guys. You guys, uh, you, you work me out. You wear me out. You wear me out. You wear me out. John, John, any, any, anything to add? Thank you, Ilya. Thank you, Absolutely. Ilya. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, John, you have anything? Well, listen, it's been a, a really a great news cycle, and obviously, each week we keep doing these podcasts. We keep stepping into new news, and I'm looking forward to next week. Nice, nice, nice. So that is John Factor. He used to write about white-collar crime and publicly traded companies in South Florida. Right now he's he's got his own uh, public uh, relations and consulting firm. That's Francisco Alvarado. He is a uh, writer. He's been doing it for north of 20 years. Uh, He really cracks skulls. You can see his work everywhere from the Daily Beast to the Guardian, Florida Bulldog, uh, the real deal. Look up uh, Francisco. And we also have Jean Groose. It was a journalist for 25 years, worked at a variety of publications in Florida, including the Tampa Tribune. Right now, he has his own public relations and marketing firm called Groose Communication. And I'm Peter Zalewski. If you're not yet a subscriber, please go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what we're doing, give us a rating. And if you have any comments, send an email to inquire at condovultures.com. Until next time, stay safe and healthy, and ciao, ciao.